What do you know about joy? Is it a choice? Is it something that can't be held on to? Is it fleeting as maybe many people live seeking and never finding joy? Is it something that only some can experience and others simply cannot? And maybe you're even confused about what's the difference between joy and happiness. What I want you to tell you this morning is that scripture is full of the word joy and rejoicing. And I didn't do a word search, but literally throughout all of scripture, this topic appears. Listen to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of things, it's found in something permanent. And so before we even begin the study, I want to ask you a couple questions. And the first being is, are you a joyful person? Could you be accused of being a joyful person? Well, would others say you're a joyful person? As the people around you, closest to you, or even in your workplace, observe your life, would they say you are a joyful person? Let me step on your toes a bit and ask you that if somebody reads your social media footprint, would they say you're a joyful person? The things you say, the comments you make, would they say you're a joyful person? How about when the stresses and difficulties of life come pressing in on you, are you a joyful person? We just sang multiple songs about trials and difficulties, but we have joy. How about when you don't get what you want, when things in life don't turn out the way you planned? Are you joyful or are you combative? A lack of joy reveals itself through our life, doesn't it? When the sausage grinder of life starts grinding away what's going to come out, joyfulness or combativeness. I think the biggest mistake many people make is confusing happiness with joy. Let me take a couple of minutes and set the stage for you to try and understand the difference. Happiness is something based on temporary things. They're they're short-term. They don't last. You have to keep pursuing them or achieving them or attaining them in order to get this euphoric feeling that you're searching for. Again, they're short-term and don't last. But joy is something different. Joy is something that is permanent. Joy is not something you can go chase after and get. It's a gift given to you by God that'll change the way you understand this whole topic. See, I think a lot of us end up living life kind of like a Monopoly game. Have you ever played Monopoly, right? 
It's the rainy day game that can last the whole rainy day. All right? But, but think about it for a moment. With the un, um, open up the board. You got to point somebody as the banker. They dish out the money. Then you got to choose your game piece. You roll the dice. And if it uh, lands on the number four, you move four places. And if you land on that square and you have this option, what's the option? You can buy the property if somebody doesn't get it, right? So you keep moving around the game board of life. Every time you pass go, you get $200. I want to make sure you're awake and get you involved. (laughs) So you keep going around this game board, and every time you land on a property, you buy it. If you own it, you can develop it. And, And the game is just keep going around and around and buy up and own more and put other people out of business, and that's the pursuit. And that sounds like a silly example, except I would ask you that if you're not careful, how easy is it to fall into that same mindset? What can I own? What can I develop? What can I do to win at the game of life? And that becomes the entire focus of your life. And when you buy a property, if you don't develop it, you won't get as much money and you know the game. I'm going to say if you get caught up in that type of a mindset, you will miss the joy that God desires for you to live in. And you end up pursuing nothing but happiness. And it's fleeting. But God gives us joy. Catch the word. God gives us, you and I, if you're a believer this morning, joy. And joy is a biblical term that is not situational, it is not temporary, it is not circumstantial, or is it dependent upon what I have or do not have or what I can control? Joy is one of the gifts that God gives to his followers. It's not some elusive or momentary state that you have to seek to find. Now, we don't always live in it. Stick with me. We'll kind of separate those two thoughts a little later. But seeing joy as a gift of God to you is going to help you discover how to live in joy. Stick with me this. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit. If you attended church growing up in Sunday school, you had to memorize the song, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love joy than peace and peace. Think about it. It's the second thing that shows up in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy. It's a gift. It's given to us by God. It's the Holy Spirit that lives in us after we become believers in Christ that now will enable you to live in joy. As a matter of fact, Scripture says you can live in the fullness of of joy. So we finished the uh, Acts series last week, which I think Ronnie said we were in 11 months, something like that. It was uh, a long time. But we found Paul right at the very end of the book of Acts, sitting in prison, waiting his trial and his destiny. Paul probably fully expected that uh, one of the things that was going to happen to him 
was that he'd be put to death as he awaited his trial. And this letter that we're going to study in Philippians, I think is probable, and I say probable because scholars will um, have some different opinions where Paul was when he wrote this letter, but I think there's good evidence to say that it was possibly or probably in Rome. And he writes a letter to the Philippian church, which he had interactions with in Acts as we went through the series, that he had great love for. Now, this letter that he writes to them is different than the letter to the Corinthians church or, or maybe the uh, Galatian church. He's not writing to correct their theology or rebuke them or, or come down hard on them on something. He actually writes this letter to encourage them, to remind them, to build them up and make sure that they live out this faith that they were now proclaiming. It's a four-chapter book we're going to look at. I won't have time to go through the whole thing, but in four chapters, check this out, four chapters, 16 times the word joy or rejoice shows up. Just in four small chapters, joy or rejoice shows up. And most often, it's connected to the gospel in some manner when Paul writes about it. And we're going to read this passage here in chapter 1 in just a moment. But I want to make sure I talk to you about happiness, that you truly understand what joy is and what rejoicing is. Joy is a state of soul health. It almost has a medical term when you look at the original wording that is used. It's almost medically like, I got the physical in my soul and I'm healthy. I'm good. Everything's great. It's a state of soul health, a well-being. It's a contentment derived from a secured faith. It's a gift from God to believers that settles them because they know the sovereign God is in control of everything in the world. It's living in confidence and contentment because you're reconciled to God. It's a notable soul lifestyle and attitude that springs forth from this soul well-being. Rejoice or rejoicing is to be in a state of gladness to be delighted, to be merry in spite of your circumstances, in spite of those around you, in spite of your abilities or your inabilities, it's observed in you that there's a gladness, a merry attitude. So let me give you kind of my summary of these two. Joy is the settled state deep inside a Christian that is a result of a redeemed life in Christ. It allows a Christian to be and live in contentment and trust regardless of their situation. It's an unshakenness that a follower of Christ has because of the faith they have. 
Rejoicing, listen, is the observable fruit in a believer's life showing their thriving, confident contentment and observable gladness in living for Jesus. And it's seen in their actions and their attitudes. Joy, the state of well-being, rejoicing in rejoice is the fruit that comes from that. Now see, the two go hand in hand, don't they? Well, let me say this. You can have happiness in your life as a result of joy, but you will never get joy that results from happiness. Two separate things. And our world desperately needs to see Christians living in joy, doesn't it? They don't need to see the combative, grouchy, grumbling, complaining, aggravated hearts of Christian that looks just like the people when I turn on the news. They need to see a joyfulness. I was talking to some friends recently and um, as we talked, and at least in my 25 years of ministry, I, I don't think I've ever seen a time in which the, the followers of Christ are not very distinguishable in their attitudes and actions than the world around them. What keeps us from living in joy? How do, how do we drift in and out of it then as followers of Christ who still battle with sin? We have to go back to the root of why that happens. I know this is a long introduction, but it's important to grasp a couple of things. Why do we battle and drift in and out of joy? I want you to think for a moment with me back in Genesis chapter 1. And you have Adam and Eve in the garden who walk closely with God, unhindered. They had the perfect situation. Spent time with God, no sin in the world, no issues, until Satan shows up and tempts them. Right? He shows up and he tempts them. And he says, hey, did God really say you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? And he twists the truth. And he begins to engage with them. And the result is sin enters our world. But here's what happens. When Satan engaged with them, he's really asking this question. Hey, is God withholding something good from you? Hey, can you really trust God? If you could, he'd let you eat of everything. What's lacking that'll bring you more happiness that God doesn't want you to have? See, in, in our life, that same wrestling happens. When, when I pursue happiness over joy, I'm asking, what's God withholding that I need to fulfill what I'm looking for? Because, well, God's provision really isn't completely all I need. Are you with me? That, that's what takes place in our life. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that he's the living water and all who drink from him will never be thirsty again, will always be satisfied. 
And so in order to live in joy, our trust and our faith and our hope has to be grounded in a person, not the pursuit of things that are temporal that run out. Two real quick summary statements and then we'll read it, I promise. The gospel allows you to understand joy and live in joy. They're, they're connected because the gospel will always remind you that God's love in determining to provide us with salvation, God determining to provide us with salvation reminds us of his generosity and his care for you. It removes that question that we just looked at from Adam and Eve too. Jesus' willing sacrificial death providing salvation reminds us of his mercy and his grace for you. That it's a care and a love and a mercy that he provides. So what are we searching for that we can't trust? Third, the Holy Spirit residing us reminds us of the work of Christ and thus provides fullness of joy by a secured life and salvation. If you're a note taker, you might want to jot this down. The level of joy you will experience in this life is directly connected to your level of devotion to Jesus and his gospel. I'll say it one more time. The level of joy you will experience in this life is directly connected to your level of devotion to Jesus and his gospel. So let's look at this letter that Paul writes to the Philippian church. He starts off in the first chapter by uh, telling them that he is with Timothy. He's writing to them and he's praying for them regularly. He loves them. He desires to get back and spend some time with them. And yet, by the way, I'm in the ESV version if you're following along this morning. And then he jumps into verse 12, and we're going to look at verse 12 through 30 this morning to give them a little update on his situation. Follow along with me, if you will. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this is verse 12, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this, in that I, what's the word? Rejoice. And then he goes on. 
Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all dismayed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, verse 21. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Pause with me for a moment. Notice Paul's circumstances here. Paul has been arrested. That's why I think it's probable for sure. It's this end of the Acts passage. Paul has been arrested for preaching the gospel, for following Christ. There has been a pattern in his life of people following him, um, throwing stones at him, trying to stone him, kill him, mock him, cause him difficulties because he was proclaiming Christ. He is arrested now. He's finds himself in prison writing this letter. Not ideal circumstances, right? He's in prison. He's unable to do what he wants, go where he wants. His life is controlled by his imprisonment. He has been in prison because he preached Christ and the gospel. And now there are other Christians around him that are preaching Christ um, kind of as a rivalry and causing difficulty and more problems for Paul while he sits in prison. And I think it's probable that these are genuine believers of Christ because they seem to be preaching the gospel, right? Because he says he rejoices that Jesus is continuing to be proclaimed. In spite of all this, he writes to these Christians in Philippi and says, it doesn't really matter, I'm rejoicing. He says it twice, yes, I'm rejoicing. I mean, he's got bad circumstances. He's not able to go and do what he wants. He's got people that are calling themselves Christians causing him trouble. He's awaiting death at any moment. And he says, I'm rejoicing. He's content. He's settled in his spirit, isn't he? It made me think of our day. To some degree, we're restricted. You're sitting there with masks this morning. You're, You're not able to breathe like you normally would. You're not able to go where you want or hold the events that you want. Vacations have been canceled. Large gatherings are not able to happen. But I wonder how many of us are rejoicing. How many of us are saying, well, whatever God wants to do with this, this will be a time in my life that I'm able to live joyfully rejoicing and give glory to God? Or am I more prone to being combative, grumbling, criticizing, being angry and taking it all out on social media where the non-believing world can watch? 
Well, you don't think that happens possibly, but if you've got unbelieving friends in your life, they see it. Mine do. And they say, what's with you guys? The joyful ones. Are we joyful? How are we interacting with other believers during this time as well? They're gospel proclaiming believers in Paul's life who are causing him trouble. These Christians uh, are being mentioned here, but not by name, but certainly are causing difficulties. And how about today? You know, there are multiple issues we can come down on different sides of. Let me just pick one and make you angry at me, the masks. People are mad because they have to wear masks. People are mad because you don't make them wear masks. Right? And again, we, we can fall on two sides of this issue, but unless the gospel is at the center of what we're going to consider in terms of our actions, we lose sight of the real issue. Amen? So Paul, because of his life of commitment to Christ, wants to write this letter to make sure they understand that joy and rejoicing isn't about your circumstances or the people around you or the things you do or do not have. It's about Christ. It's about his gospel and the opportunity you take to keep that in mind. So the first thing I want to say when I look at this passage and I look at Paul's life is that Paul was living in joy because he really had a great commandment priority for his life. You remember the great commandment that Jesus taught, Matthew, or Mark 12, Matthew chapter 22. He says, what's the most important thing in all of life as he was being challenged by some religious leaders, and he said the most important commandment, the very thing, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. In other words, every single piece of your being. That's what we're supposed to do. And Paul was able to live through difficult circumstances, difficult people, because he would live out this love for Jesus. With all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength, therefore, whatever's coming my way, I'm able to set it aside and say, for the advancement of the gospel, I will live in joy. He had uncompromised love and devotion to Jesus. The very first lesson for living in joy is this. Whenever you're Love for Jesus, the great commandment, if you will, starts to wane a little bit. You watch your joy level do the same. It'll start to drop. It'll start to diminish. Paul has joy because he has uncompromised love of Jesus. Now let me ask you this question. If you're a note taker, write this down because here's part of your homework from today's sermon. 
Verse 21 is just one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to write this down. For me, living is, and then draw a blank line. For me, living is, and a line. The homework is what goes in that line. Now, you all know the Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? Jesus goes and answer, yeah. But is that true of you? For me, living is what? My bank account? My home? My vacation? My relationships? Now, it's a hard question for you to ask yourself. So if you're married, ask your spouse. What do they see in your actions, your attitudes, that'll go in that space? If you're not married, ask your best friend or your coworker. You see, the actions and the attitudes that people observe in us will real, really, really say what goes in that line, right? For me, living is, if it's Christ, You're going to be understanding the very starting point of joy. Second, I want us to look at verses 22 through 26 and pick back up on what Paul is saying. For me to live as Christ and die as gain, verse 21, now he says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and, what's the word? What's the word? Joy in the faith so that in me you might have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Look at this wrestling Paul's going through. Again, by now he has been beaten so many times and had so many problems caused him because he's representing Christ. He just wants to say, I just want to die and be with Jesus. I love Jesus, I just die and be in eternity with him. But he can't say that. Why? What's keeping him from saying and just, uh, just, I wanna die? He's wrestling with this fact that he has been put on this earth just like you and I to worship and love Jesus but also to serve him and be about the very things that Jesus was about. And so his deep love for these Christians in Philippi was requiring that he would say, no, I I know what I want, but it's not about me. It's about you. And it's more necessary for me to stay and interact with you so your joy, your well-being, your contentment, and your love for Jesus grows more and more. The second part of the great commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, is what? 
to love other people the same way that God loves other people. It was a sacrificial decision that he would be required to make. In chapter two of this letter, verses three and four, he writes and says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. In humility, consider others more important than yourself. He wanted to teach them, help them understand. You know, living in joy is not about you. It's really about Jesus and other people. So live investing yourself in other people. That was the way of Jesus, by the way. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Happiness requires that you focus on yourself and you try to get what you think you deserve. Joy will cause you to focus on others and invest in them regardless of whether you get what you deserve. Joy from loving people like God does will will require sacrifice though. It's gonna require you to give versus get. And that's the rub, isn't it? I don't want the joy piece of me having to give my time and my talents or even my treasures. I want. And Paul's saying, no, I'm willing to take some more beatings. I'm willing to face more hardship. I'm willing to just continue to sit here in prison in hopes that I could be released so that I can invest in you. Joy comes from investing yourself in other people and loving other people. Third and finally this morning, I want to finish chapter one, starting in verse 27. Paul says that only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or remain absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by anything uh, by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but to your salvation, that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The third thing that joy will require of us is that we need to invest ourselves in others, but not just in friendships, but in true gospel relationships that are all about living on mission for Christ. He had joy, this well-being because of his salvation and rejoicing a fruit of gladness because he was looking forward to investing in those who were following Christ and helping them get stronger, get more um, healthy and secure in their faith and send them out to do the very thing that Christ did. 
He wants to make sure they're focused, they're settled and growing in their understanding of what life in the gospel looks like. He, he wanted to make sure that they were models of genuine Christians in the world around them. They needed to see Paul live this out and model it as well. Joy that came from bad circumstances, broken, difficult relationships. Joy that came from a focused life and desire to love and serve Jesus. Is that true of you? Is that true of you during this time that we live in? That you're living in joy because you're willingly giving of yourself and others' lives to disciple them, to walk with them, to hear how they're struggling, to invest yourself in them. Or are we more like the world, grumbling, complaining, wishing and only hoping life was different? He wants to remind them that living in joy does not mean a life free of difficulty. Matter of fact, he says to expect suffering. Expect it. It's going to happen. But you know what? Suffering tends to fuel real joy. When you get pressed, when things around you are not so good, if joy's coming out, it tends to fuel our joy and remind us of this broken world that we live in. So a couple takeaways for you here. Joy is not dependent on circumstances because it comes from a settled relationship with Jesus. And that settled relationship with Jesus should be the very thing that drives us in a deeper love and appreciation of him. Joy is not dependent on our freedoms because it comes from a recognition that Jesus is sovereign over the world we live in. Pause with me for a minute. The next time you're challenged to grumble or complain, right? By the way, you know, there's no spiritual gift called the gift of criticism and grumbling. Just throwing that out there this morning. When, when you realize that the world we live in, God is sovereignly over, and your circumstances God is sovereignly over, he wants to use those for his glory and to change you, as Romans 8 says, to help conform you to the image of Christ. It adds a new light, doesn't it? Joy is not dependent on others' actions and agreements with you because it comes from gospel-centered life focus. Look, let's remember, we all battle sinful nature, right? We all have struggles we face, yes. We battle sin natures in ourselves. We repent of those. We ask God to grow us more into looking like him. 
And the world we live in is filled with sinful people, so there's going to be conflict, there's going to be disagreement, there's going to be all kinds of issues. But, oh Lord, use us to look different. Joyful examples. Joy is not dependent upon getting something because it comes from investing in others out of love like Jesus did. The level of joy you will experience in life is directly connected to your level of devotion to Jesus and his gospel. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. Thank you that uh, your word is from you, inspired by you, spoken in this case through Paul. Thank you that one of the gifts that you give us is joy. You give us joy. When we become followers of you, we repent and ask you to forgive our sins, trust Christ, and now follow Jesus and his way of living and loving and serving. We find great joy, but Lord, maybe for some of us, myself included, I need to repent this morning because too often I would pursue happiness over true joy. Too often I would forget that, that it is well with my soul. And too often I would forget that I need to rejoice and have a, a life that fruit would be seen by a world that's glad. Help us to do that, Lord. The, the world desires to press in on us. The world desires to make our sinful nature rise to the top. Oh, Jesus, you desire to remind us of the joy that you have given us. You remind us of the joy that allows us to face any circumstance. The joy and rejoicing that I can model to the world because of the gospel. So I would pray for all of us this morning as we think upon this. To live in joy will require that we love you with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That becomes the pattern of pursuit for our life that will be the foundation piece for living in joy and to love others and not just love them as friends, but also love them to invest in them. Help us to do that, Holy Spirit. Remind us of this gift that we would appreciate it and live in it and model it for your name's sake and glory, Jesus. Amen.